Thanks, Debbie. Um, there's a number of things that we need to do um, in, to, to believe. I mean, we've got to we've got to actually exert our will and tell ourselves, "Hey, I believe that." Um, and sometimes it feels good to do that too, but it's something we need. One of the other things that's really important, I think, for, for us to do is to hear people's testimonies because it's very easy because there's a separation in time between what God did in, in the scriptures and what God is doing in us that sometimes that felt separation can make us feel like there's a, a separation between us and God in terms of when he did stuff. And it's very easy for us not to see that God is doing something in people's lives right now. And sometimes when we hear somebody give their testimony about what God is doing in their life or how God saved them, it puts us kind of in a new frame of mind to see what God is actually doing in ours. So I want to invite um, Jingtai um, Kingsley, a.k.a. Kingsley, up here um, to give his testimony. I'm really excited to hear this because I actually got to meet with him before he accepted Jesus and after, and so I got to be a little part of this story, which is really exciting for me, obviously. Um, you'll notice that he is a, he's an international student. He's not, doesn't look just like a lot of us because he's Canadian. So, um, yes, but he's going um, to give his testimony, and uh, we're really excited to hear it. So. Thank you very much, Pastor Nick. Um, as always, I always relish good Canadian jokes. Um, but uh, I am not fully Canadian. Uh, I actually uh, uh, was born in China and uh, um, raised in China. Um, I lived in China for 17 years. Then I moved to Canada um, after I finished my um, first year of high school. Then I stayed in Canada, stayed in Canada for two years and um, applied for college here. And then I got here. Here I am in Wisconsin, and um, I'm very glad here today um, to share a bit of my own story um, about how I uh, find my faith. So uh, when I was a teenager, I was very disillusioned about the world that was and still is filled with suffering. So every day we could just read from the news um, the many, many tragedies of injustice, violence, and poverty, and um, as a teenager, I always asked myself, how could God, who is the creator of the world, leave the world he just created in such, such a miserable condition? I just could not understand why. So this question of why kept me from God for many years. Fortunately, things started to turn around when I uh, went to college here. Um, I met, in my freshman year, I met two wonderful Christian friends. Um, Dean Waldemeyer and the man. Uh, so, uh, and they sat with me every single week um, to discuss the, the biblical message in the word of God. And um, studying with them, I was hoping that I could find a rational answer to the problem of suffering. I thought there could be some kind of scientific empirical explanation behind the problem of the world. And unfortunately, um, <clears throat> but I found something more than that. Uh, from Ding and Ben, I learned that the problem, the suffering of the world did not come from God. It comes from us, our sinful nature against him. But initially, I took that truth as an um, empirical fact. It did not move me. It did not um, get um, deeper into my heart. And then as a sophomore, I encountered Dostoevsky, um, who is one of the most brilliant Christian writers that ever lived um, in the history of literature. So it is in Dostoevsky I find answer to I find the answer to my question about suffering. So, that, so the major theme in Dostoevsky's work is 
Christian love, and he interprets Christian love as compassion. That is to able to share your suffering and bear other suffering in the very condition of suffering. It is this shared suffering that combine, that binds us together as a Christian community. It is also this shared suffering that gives our existence meaning and makes us human and godly. That is the message I heard. I heard from Dostoevsky, and it is also in Dostoevsky I've memorized my very first biblical verse. It is John twelve twenty four, where Jesus where Jesus preached to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but when it dies, it brings much fruit. Thanks to Christian, thanks to my Christian friends and Dostoevsky, um, I was. I, my heart reached the threshold of conversion by the, end of my, by the end of my sophomore year. Then in the following summer, I dated a girl with whom, unfortunately, I became too intimate. At first, I thought I really liked her, but soon I realized I did not. I stayed with her out of my own lust. So by the end of the summer, when I broke up with her, she just cried. She didn't know. She loved me with all her heart. And uh, at that time, Hearing her cries, I realized that I was the one who caused others to suffer. And uh, I just cannot stand that as a person who has been seeking an answer to the question of suffering. So uh, very early in the morning, uh, tormented by my conscience, I reached out to Dean. And I asked him what I should do. I confessed to him my sin. And Dean did not judge me. Instead, he requests me to accept Christ as my Savior, ask him to pay for my, all my sins. So I did. Out of a desire for self-control, out, out of a longing that I might no longer be the cause of others' suffering. So my acceptance for Christ then led to a series of gradual subtle changes. I start to constantly reflect upon my own do- wrongdoings every day, and I start to read more and more of Bibles. And also I start to uh, pray for the world and others and everyone around me so that they may also open their hearts to the, to the true faith, to the grace of God, and to the love of Christ. And I also start to reach out, trying to get more involved with Christian student organizations on campus and um, form more fellowships with other Christian friends. <clears throat> and as a senior at the college, um, I also applied for grad school this year. And but my hope is that if I did not get into any grad schools, I can still enroll in a seminary so that I can further my understanding of the Bible and so that I can serve God better. But the most, most importantly, I start to share my testimony with others. I start to share my own spiritual journey with others, so that they can know the great love, the great grace God has offered through His only Son, Christ. Truly, for every one of us, Christ is the grain that dies and brings much fruit in us. And our faith is amazing and the most compassionate one because in the words of Pastor Nick, Christ is the only suffering God and therefore he is the only answer to the suffering world. That is why I'm standing here today to share my own testimony, my own um, personal experience with you, with God. And uh, I stand here to invite you, um, or to invite all of you, to draw close to, to Christ, our compassionate Savior. And in the end, I want to share another biblical verse with you, which I also learned from Dostoevsky and memorized from the Bible. 
um, it is John 16, 12, uh, it is John 16, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament the joy, the world will rejoice. But your joy will, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And in this holiday season, um, I wish all of you have a wonderful time and a joyful time in our compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Coming to hug you. Oh. Thank you. Um, I, he and I, one of my favorite times so far in my ministry in Madison was him and I, sit, I think we were maybe in the student union or something. We were outdoors, weren't we? It was no, no, nice. No, it was cafe. Oh, that's library. right. We were in the college library, and we talked about Dostoevsky novels for two and a half or three hours, and I realized, like, I had meetings, and, but, like, it was, we were just going on and on about the idiot and Brothers Karamazov, and, and it was, it's so... It's inspiring for me because the main thing you talked about was lo- was compassion and love on the week of love, which we did not plan. And it's amazing to me how, because I read Dostoevsky in seminary, he really transformed my understanding of how compassion is part of the gospel. And to think that a Russian epileptic from the 1840s reached you and me, that it's just, it's, I love it. So it was, I, I'm sorry, he, he's one of my, he's, I, I don't have favorites because I'm a pastor, but I'm so glad I got to be part, I got to be part of that. And, and I'm so glad that Dean invited me to be. All right, man, we'll see. Okay, so I'm sorry, I just, he's so much fun. Okay. Um, all right, so this is going to be the first in three mercifully short sermons. If, if you're visiting High Point, I usually preach between 40 and 50 minutes on Sunday morning because I think if you're going to get one drink a week, it ought to be a good one. And um, so, so this is going to—all I have time to do really right now is to make a few comments about something. And the good news is, is that this is just the second half of my sermon last week. Um, so I'm doing three messages on— um, on one of the, the main themes in 1 Corinthians. If, if you've been going here all year, we spent the whole year in this book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. And at the end of the year, I wanted to go back to one of its main themes, which essentially was maturity. Um, here's one of the verses, um, starting in chapter 3 in, verse, in um, 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, meaning spiritually mature. He says, Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? And, and, he's, and this is parallel to this idea of immaturity, right? Um, also in the book of Hebrews, which is another passage in the Bible, um, there's this passage. He says, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant— is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That's the passage I used last week. But there's a passage in here that can really give us the wrong idea on the next question we have to ask about Christian maturity, which is how. If we believe we need to seek maturity, that's this really important thing, that we're supposed to grow up. How do you seek Christian maturity? Because there's this verse here that says, but solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish between good to distinguish good from evil. Um, in the world we live in, there are a lot of ideas about how people become mature. Some of them seem to be compatible with Christianity. Some of them don't. Almost all of them have a little bit of truth in them. 
but not, sometimes not all that much. Here's five of the ones I thought of just off the top of my head. These are not technical categories. These are sermon categories, okay? So there's like, there's phase theory. Like, you know, everybody goes through phases. Just let them go through the phases. And they'll, which is, there's some truth to that, right? People go through developmentally appropriate stuff. But half the reason kids get out of phases is because we get them out of phases. Not because they just grow out of phases. Same thing with our adult phases. We go through phases and something has to get us out of them. Then you can't just say, oh, it's a phase. We'll keep going. Experience theory, which is kind of like, well, everybody has experiences and we learn from our experiences, which that's true, right? There are some things in your life you might say, you know what? I learned this thing through an experience and I just don't know if I would have learned it any other way. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Is also living, learn, learning most of what you learn by experience one of the most painful and inefficient ways to live your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's terribly inefficient, terribly painful. Same thing with unlearning theory. This is sort of like the Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Jean Dewey theory. Like, you know, kids are born idealistic and truthful and all these kinds of things, and they unlearn it when they grow up. And what we really need to do to become mature is to forget everything we've learned, go back to the beginning. Now, is there some truth to that? There is some truth to that, right? We do get a little jaded. We get that there's a little bit of truth to that. But Jean-Jacques Rousseau didn't actually raise any of his own kids. And... It astounds me how people who work with kids believe that. Um, and I think it's because there is a little bit of truth in it, but there's a lot wrong with it too. Kids are immature. We're immature. We have to grow up. That doesn't just happen. And then, but the thing is, if you, if you kick some of those sort of like modern, like feel-good theories, we're all fantastic things out, and you, and you begin to understand a biblical doctrine of supreme human worth, but also human depravity, how do you work those out? Right? You be, it's very easy to come into these, these next two, which I'll just call drivenness theory and, and discipline theory. That is, that like, if, you know, if I want to succeed in life and be mature, I just need to be really driven towards something. I need to be really driven. And if I'm driven, I will find all the skills and tools and resources that I need to succeed. And so if I have an inner drive, if I'm one of those inner driven people, I'll succeed. Partly true. Partly true. That view of life also makes some people who are just terrible human beings. And whose lives fall apart because they're too myopically focused and they can't live a whole human life. But the other opportunity here is sort of discipline theory, like if you're just disciplined, discipline, discipline, discipline. If we do everything with discipline and self-control and strength and then, you know, we'll be the kind of person that can succeed and deliver and do all those sorts of things. It's another yeah, but. It's another yeah, but. There's a lot of truth to that, Right? Discipline and repetition and practice makes us better at things. It makes us capable of doing things we otherwise couldn't do. But there's also a real problem with it, too, because discipline does not in and of itself have any moral direction. Disciplined in doing what? And that's one of the reasons why um, when we come to Christian faith, it's very easy for these things to leak into our understanding of how we're supposed to become mature. Even this passage in James, it talks about perseverance or building discipline and wisdom. And so it's very easy to say, well, just look at James 1, 2 to 8. It's very clear that what we need to grow and be mature as a Christian is we need to seek to be, to be disciplined and we need to seek wisdom, right? Because if the testing of our faith through the difficulties and trials that come into our lives develops perseverance or discipline over long term. And if we lack wisdom, what should we do? We should ask God for it. That is, we should go acquire, we should acquire wisdom. But you see, even that, it's still, that's still really not the Christian answer. The Christian answer is there. It's just really easy to read over it, right? What does the many trials that we face, what is that testing meant to do? Well, Nick, it develops perseverance. Okay, it does. But what does the verse actually say it does? It says, the testing of your 
faith develops perseverance. That is, it's, it's not just working on everything. One of the things it's specifically working on is producing a faith, a belief in the Savior and a belief in God that perseveres and gets us through everything so that when we get to things like knowing we lack wisdom, the first thing that we do is something that requires faith. We don't just go read, we ask God for it. Because one of the first impulses of faith is going to be, hey, God is there. Ask him. He's the wise one, and he's generous. Well, where do those two propositions come from, that God is there and that God is generous? They come from faith. Where does the proposition come from that I should embrace this trial because in this trial—in fact, I should do it with pure joy because in this trial, something is going to be produced in me that is worth more than anything I might suffer. Right? You've got to believe in God— And you've got to believe God is doing something with the trial. That requires faith, right? So what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is I want to, I just want to try to drive this home that because we, we tend to be just as moralistic as anybody else. We tend to come at this thing and say, yeah, Jesus loves me. That's fabulous. I need to become mature. I'm going to acquire wisdom and discipline. That's, that's not really what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that those things are incredibly useful, but there is a foundation and a starting point that we have to pull back to, and that is faith. If we do not realize that maturity, like everything else in Christian faith, comes by faith, we are going to seek it another way, and that is going to be a bone-grinding drudgery that's going to make us hate religion and practically walk away from Jesus. We receive our righteousness, our, our standing with God and our relationship with God by faith. We receive everything by God's free favor, and we receive maturity by faith. Who are the most immature people in the world? the people constantly trying to prove themselves. You see, that's the funny thing about so many moral beauties and virtues. You have to be seeking something else to acquire them. And maturity is one of those things that when you seek it directly, you never get. Because when you seek to be mature, that ends up being driven by an immature attitude such that the maturity ends up just being a, a tool that an inner base immaturity is just wielding around as a tool. And so we look mature, but we're not mature people. And you can just see that when things go wrong and we blow up. And we act selfish and mean, though we're normally a really nice person. So let me just try to argue this from a couple of passages. So, okay, Proverbs 9. Look at this section. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. And if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now think about that. There's all this wisdom that you can have. Isn't that fabulous? But what's with the judgmental entrance, right? Only give wisdom to a wise person. Don't give wisdom to a foolish person. And you're kind of like, sorry, that is not how we normally distribute resources, right? We think people who need them ought to get them. Well, that's a very good idea. But here's the problem. Um, they don't care. You see, the, you see, that verse has presumed in it 
that faith is necessary for maturity. You see, the person who already believes, the founding two premises of Christian maturity, that the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One, that is, that God is God and you are not, and that truth is so profound that it should terrify you. That whether or not you already believe in that will set up whether or not you are going to be prepared to accept wisdom and see it for what it is and add it to your learning. And if you don't believe that, true wisdom is just going to look like foolishness to you. You're going to mock it and throw it away. You see, faith precedes whether or not you can accept wisdom. And faith precedes also whether or not you can accept discipline. So believing that the starting point is wisdom and discipline gets the whole thing wrong. Faith precedes them both. And namely, the first piece of it is faith that God is God and that truth cannot be ignored and it's so true that it ought to terrify you. And the reason that's so important is because without faith, you cannot grow maturity no matter what you do. Now remember, I'm not arguing this. I'm only making comments. So if you're thinking the objection, well, Nick, aren't you saying then that people who aren't Christians can't be mature? I am and am not saying that, but it would take me about 20 minutes to fully tease that out. So I'm not going to do that right now. So listen to the last recording if you want to hear the two minutes I said on that, okay? Now, some of you know from last season that I'm a little bit of a crazy gardener, such that my wife has had interventions. And um, last year, one of the things I learned, um, I haven't been into it for very long. I just, I moved here. I can't spearfish, you know, grouper, so I've got to do something in Wisconsin, right? So um, last year at the end of the growing season, I bought this package from Menards, which, which is like all the other ones. It has a little greenhouse top and all little things and, and the soil for it and everything. But it has this bad boy that comes with it. And do you know what this is? This is the heating pad, right? You don't really know you need this until you don't have it. Because apparently, I learned this last season, um, tomato plants will not germinate unless they're at 70 degrees or higher. Right? So you can't just plant them and put them in a cold room because they won't grow. They've got to have heat. And so I, like, I splurged on the bad boy heating pad because I want my tomatoes to sprout and do stuff, right? Now, here's the thing. I can do all of that and I can till the soil and I can put in the whatever manure and I can get the little cages ready and I can put the fences around and I can put in like carnivorous plants that will eat the rabbits and all. I can do all that stuff, right? And I will grow precisely nothing, nothing without one particular very necessary ingredient, which is the seeds, right? Like, these have got to be present. There is a foundation to this thing, and whatever else you get right, and obviously there's lots of things you can get right, and people do this stuff on lots of different levels, right? There's some people, they throw some seeds, and they grow a little lettuce, and that's all they do. And other people are crazy, and like me, and though all that's, there's a lot of diversity in how much we put into it, but there's one thing that everybody has to get right, and if you don't get it right, you are not going anywhere, and that is seeds. You've got to have good seeds because this is where the life is. Good luck growing a plant without any life. And in that sense, that's what all the discipline and all the wisdom acquiring and all the reading and all the spiritual disciplines and everything that we would do, whether it's distinctly spiritual or religious in church or whether it's the way we try to grow discipline through any other ways in our secular life or in our parenting models or whatever. All of those things are these things. 
They're things designed to get the maximum possible growth out of what we've got. But if you don't have, if you don't have the right seeds, you can't get there. And what this passage argues, and what the James passage argues, and what the one I'll show you last argues, is that if you don't have the, the seed of faith, you can't really grow it from the inside out. There's a problem that can't be fixed. And you say, well, well then what about people who don't believe in Jesus that are, are plenty mature? Well, they believe very strongly in something, and that thing motivates whatever level of maturity that they have. And the reason that maturity is limited is because it's only Jesus that kills you all the way to the bottom. That's why full, complete human maturity really can only come through Jesus. I really do believe that. Because Jesus is the only one who will kill you all the way to the bottom so that there isn't an immature base down there ready to wield all of your maturity for its own good. That's why Jesus could say in that verse that, that Kingsley quoted, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, which is exactly what Jesus did and is exactly what he told us we were going to do. Now, one of the things to recognize, so, because so, part of the thing people struggle with is this whole idea of fearing God, right? There's lots of people that get all bent out of shape about that. But listen, the, you cannot get past this. When the Bible says the fear of the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, it means it. You can't be a Christian without doing doing business with this idea, incorporating it into who you are of the fear of God. But why is it so important, right? There's two reasons it's so important. Let's find it. The first is that faith is sobering. You see, if you believe that our sinful nature is degrading and consuming and demoralizing, and that it confuses us, that it has effects on how we think. The, the Christian argument is that all of us are essentially morally and in terms of maturity totally drunk. And, and have you ever tried to teach somebody wisdom or teach them discipline when they were totally wasted? It doesn't go very well. Right? I mean, I remember being in college and talking to some guy about Jesus on some lawn somewhere who dropped a bunch of acid. Like, we had a wonderful conversation. It didn't, he did not remember it. Okay? And can you imagine trying to teach somebody how to play basketball who's just like, no kidding, committable drunk? Like, they're not gonna, let's run splints, you know, let's run some sprints. No, you're not. Right? It doesn't work. And so there, there's this, there's, uh, there's this sobering that has to happen first. One of the, one of my favorite movies that um, I watched with my kids a good bit is um, the, the Princess Bride. Have you seen this? Right? So there's this, there's this scene in The Princess Bride where Inigo, who's like the swordsman, he's totally drunk because his life has kind of come apart. Everything he thought he was doing isn't going anywhere. And so he's by this hovel, totally drunk. And Festic, the giant, finds him. And he like, you know, he's like, you don't look so good. You don't smell so good either. He's like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. But he's totally drunk. And he lets go of him. The guy he five falls over. And then the voiceover right after that is, Festic took great care in reviving Inigo. And if you've seen the movie, you remember what happens? There's a big barrel of hot water and a big barrel of freezing cold water and he's and the giant has Inigo's head and he's putting it in the cold water and he's putting it in the hot water and he's putting it in the cold water and the hot water until he finally throws it to that's enough that's enough right he'd sobered him up he, right he was trying to get him to do something he was trying to Fessick was trying to get him to go so he couldn't do anything he's drunk he wasn't sobered up and if we want to become mature there is this foundational bottom absolutely down their level on which you and I need to be sobered up and there is really only one truth that can do that that can totally sober up the drunk turned around sinful 
deranged human mind. That is that God exists. He can't be ignored. You have to do something about this on the level that it should terrify you. And only that truth has the ability to really sober up a human being. The truth that God loves you won't do anything for you until you realize what the word God in that sentence means. And it's also foundational, but we got to keep going or this isn't going to be mercifully short. I'm going to skip this passage because I already said a little bit about it. But notice that in this passage, in, in the pa- James passage, it is the faith it's faith that has to be there for perseverance, perseverance to be grown in anybody. And when you need wisdom, what do you do? Do you go read books? That's not what the passage says. Should you go read books? Absolutely. But what should you do first? The first thing you should do, it says, is ask God for wisdom, which requires faith to come first. The last thing is, um, is in Philippians 3 where, where the Apostle Paul says to this church, it's actually decently mature. He says, listen guys, um, you and I, um, we need to press on to win the prize. He says this, for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then verse, 70, verse 15 he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. What view? Well, read the passage before it, right? Context. And this is what he says. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. Now the word perfect there is the same word used a few verses later for mature. The Greek word means mature, complete, perfect. Right? Same word. Not that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, if you and I are going to be mature, right? He says, everybody who's going to be mature needs to take this view. And he says, not that I've already attained all of this maturity, but as I seek maturity, this is what I think about. Now, what does he think about? You see, think about that passage. That's what he thinks about. He thinks about the fact that there is a righteousness that he needs. There is a rightness of heart and soul and standing that he requires, and he's not going to earn it. He's not going to go out and learn a bunch of wisdom and learn a bunch of discipline. He's not going to go out there and wait till he goes through his phases. He's not going to go out there and just learn from experience. He is going to receive it from God. He's going to receive it. The Christian word is, it's imputed. It belongs to somebody else, and it's just credited and given to you, though you don't deserve it, and you didn't earn it. And because the the Christian gospel teaches this, this is what Jesus taught, you are never going to be able to earn the thing until after I've already given it to you, and you can't earn it anymore. It's It's only when we realize we just want to be like Jesus— And we totally forget about being mature, but we're completely possessed with being like him because we see how great a king, how great a God, how great a savior, and and also how great a human he was and is. And when we're drawn into that because of faith, because of faith, 
the fear of God settles in and sobers us, and it grounds us into a certain foundation. We realize that our trials and all of our learning can't get us anywhere until we recognize that it is God who is creating perseverance out of faith in trials, and that if we want wisdom, we're never going to be able to see the wisdom for what it is unless we ask God and He helps us work it through. And that brings us finally to the place where when we say, what do we eat? What do we do with this? How do we point ourselves? What does this faith look like? It looks like recognizing that we want to be at the very bottom of who we are, united with Christ, and to receive a righteousness from God, which is going to look like us dying with Him like He died, so that we can be raised with him like he lives. Which gets back to the idea that that is the only way he can kill you all the way to the bottom. Which doesn't sound like too much fun, but when I explain the significance of my camo snuggie, hopefully it will. This is the last part of the sermon. So last year for Christmas, my wife bought me a camo snuggie. And it is as awesome as it looks. Um, now, this is one of the reasons why it is so loving that Jesus kills us all the way to the bottom. Because if he doesn't, every piece of maturity we built on whatever else we have faith in becomes an outer—don't you dare—becomes an outer layer for—no flash photography—becomes an, becomes an outer layer of something inside of us that stays connected to what the Bible calls the flesh or the sinful nature, which is essentially sinful human immaturity. And unless the work that's done gets all the way into the very bottom of that and kills it all the way to the bottom, whatever maturity we create becomes like a cloak that we wrap around that which we didn't kill. But guess what wields what? The inside wields the outside. And so if Jesus doesn't come in and kill us all the way to the bottom, if we're not possessed all the way to the bottom of who we are with the sobering truth of the fear of God and an infatuation with the glory of who Jesus is in his death and resurrection, then there's something will still remain of the old person in us that will never die and will always hold a place for itself. And all of the maturity we cloak over it will be a tool it uses to stay immature. And our, all of our maturity will be in the hands of the deeper immaturity and will be used for its purposes. I mean, think about how dehumanizing and demoralizing that is. To think every, every bit of maturity that we work up and we build up, there is a deeper immaturity in us that goes, great, another tool for me to be selfish. Another way for me to act like I'm selfless. Another way for me to get people impressed with me. Another way for, so I can wield through that maturity, my immaturity. But, but that's not God's plan. That, and that's why, and that's why Christian maturity, yeah, do we seek it with all our heart? Yes. Is it hard work? Absolutely. Should, be, we, should we be working hard to acquire discipline and to find wisdom? Yes, Absolutely. But at the bottom, at the very beginning, at the heart, the thing that you cannot forget about, and the only place we can really start, is that maturity can only ever be received by faith. It's the only thing that sobers. It's the only thing that gets us down to the foundation. It's the only thing that can really temper faith through trials. It's the only way that we can really receive wisdom, because it has to come from God. And it's the only way that we can really accept the death that is required for the resurrection.
And if you, if you accept that, if you buy into it, if you trust in Jesus, then you're, all the maturity in your life won't end up being like a tacky Snuggie wrapped around a pastor that's otherwise well-dressed by his wife. <laughs> There's going to be a, a real and deeper maturity that will come from Christ, that will be broken in lots of ways, that will not be perfect, but it will be, it will be real on a level that I don't think we can experience any other way. And it will come much easier. It will not come through this bone-crushing effort, effort, effort. Because there will be a fountain of motivation that comes from the very center where a real seed of life has actually been planted. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us to come to maturity through the path that Scripture lays out, that the Gospel lays out, that Jesus born, crucified, and risen has laid out for us. We, we don't want to be people with a core of immaturity around um, a wrapping of maturity. We want to be people who are like Christ. And I pray that anybody who um, is listening to this for the first time, I pray that you'd, you'd work in them, that you'd help them start thinking about it in a certain way, and that um, you'd help them see that it takes a long while sometimes to work this all through in our heads and our hearts. And I pray, but I pray that you'd be speaking to them now. And I pray that if there's only one thing that they can take from this, that it would be that if we feel like we might lack wisdom, and if we even think that you might exist, that one first step of faith would be to ask the God we might think is there for wisdom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.